It was another busy, newsy week at the State House. We're bringing together some of our hardworking political reporters to discuss what's happened and what's still ahead on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, March 24th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. A lot happened at the Iowa State House this week, and we have gathered a group of political reporters who spent a good deal of time inside the Iowa Capitol. Welcome to Amanda Rooker from KCCI in Des Moines. She is the station's chief political reporter. Stephen Gruber-Miller is with the Des Moines Register. He is their statehouse reporter. Aaron Murphy is with the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. He is their Des Moines bureau chief. And Dave Price is with WHO-TV 13 in Des Moines. He is their political director. Dave, this past week the governor signed a couple of pieces of legislation. One of them deals with bathroom policies in Iowa's schools. Bring us up to speed. And, and I feel like this one will be one of the top ones from the session looking at the what's next component about this. So specifically dealing with transgender students and it's public and private schools here. But essentially the bottom line is that this requires students to use the bathroom that would match their gender assigned at birth. That's the easiest way to say it. Now they're, they can, if they have their parents' permission, they, they can go to the school and try to make special accommodations. But it kind of follows this national push that we've seen in some of the other Republican-led states to do similar things. The challenge for the schools then is how do you respond to parents' needs for their child? How will this be policed? All of those kind of things. And the bill took effect the moment Immediately. the governor signed it. Right, and now we wait to see if there will be a lawsuit about it. Yeah, we asked Representative Holt about that on their show last week. It was his expectation that schools implement this policy immediately and be ready from day one. And, and he told us that, yes, that is his expectation. So uh, to Dave's point, if there are students who wish for accommodations to be made, that's something that schools are going to have to grapple with now. And the governor also acknowledged that this week when she had a news conference that she expected there to be a lawsuit. Yeah, she told me she's got a spreadsheet of lawsuits that, that she just says that's the way it is and, and she's expecting this. So a lot of other states have had lawsuits over uh, legislation like this. Um, 
now we're waiting, we're thinking about, you know, listening to experts about what might the arguments be. And in other states where there have been lawsuits, there are lawsuits representing people who say they have been harmed by the policy. So you have to wait to sort of develop that, correct? Right. But since it took effect immediately, in theory, you, you could have a plaintiff who's a student who's now saying, I'm being discriminated against in what bathroom I can use at school. A lot of these schools, I think, are grappling, since this took effect immediately, they're looking to try to understand what is the correct legal interpretation of this bill. I know some of the metro schools we reached out to said they're hoping the Department of Education sends them some sort of legal interpretation of the bill. Um, just to know, you know, if they create a, a single stall unisex restroom, um, is that discriminatory for a student that, you know, then is singled out and has to use that bathroom compared to the rest of students um, looking at, you know, obviously the bill requires schools to provide accommodations, but is that legally enough? And, and that's such a big part of it, but just logistically for especially some of the smaller, comma, older schools, mm -hmm. there may not be that facility that exists, and so they're trying to figure out how the heck do you pull this off? Amanda, also this week on the same day, the governor signed a bill that prohibits Iowa doctors for, from performing gender transition procedures or prescribing puberty blockers. Bring us up to speed on that. Yeah, that's right. So this is another bill that takes effect immediately. Um, now in the state of Iowa, healthcare providers are no longer allowed to uh, provide gender transition procedures for minors. That, that's things like uh, puberty blockers, hormone therapies, other gender-related surgeries. Um, there is, that does take effect immediately. Um, it's illegal now, but um, kids that were on some of those hormone therapies, there is a provision where they're allowed to kind of be phased out for six months. Um, after that, it becomes legal. Um, there is, the law does allow um, providers to refer Iowans under the age of 18 to out-of-state providers. I know on the same day that the House passed that bill uh, in Minnesota, the governor did an executive order saying that they are going to allow gender transition procedures, but Iowans under the age of 18, regardless of parental consent or doctor advice, will have to go out of state for that treatment. Yeah, and, and that's, and, and Amanda mentioned that kind of uh, phase out period, however you want to call it, and, and that's something that I know that families in Iowa are wrestling with right now. If they have an, uh, a, a transgender a child under 18 who has already started on this, and you're doing the math, and you got 100, and I'm sorry, was it 80, 180 days? Uh, yeah, six um, months. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, will they be 18 by then? And if not, uh, mm. you know, what are we going to do? And 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 can we make it to Minnesota or other states? And so it's another one, like Dave said about the bathroom bill, that this has repercussions and, and uh, on, on Iowa's moving forward. And it's another one we wouldn't be surprised to see a lawsuit yeah. happen with. And you would not only have perhaps an, an equal protection argument saying that you're being discriminated against based on your gender identity, but you might also have an argument in court that you could see, like we've seen in other states, that uh, it infringes on maybe the parent's right to decide about uh, decisions for their child or doctor's rights to sort of uh, free speech and, and describing what kind of care they would wish to prescribe. Dave, this didn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, the governor of Arkansas and the governor of Georgia also signed very similar bills into law this week. Right, and it, that's what 2023 has been fascinating to me about maybe this year more than I can ever remember where we see things that are going through uh, 
similar uh, similar plans that are going through in multiple states almost simultaneously like this. And we'll get to a few more of the topics coming up later, I think. But uh, that part has been fascinating about where this starts, and then it just kind of almost copies in numerous other states, and, just like dominoes. Mm -hmm. And Governor Reynolds even alluded to that uh, during, and we're going to talk politics later, but when Governor Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was here and they were on stage together, Governor uh, Reynolds talked about how Republican governors are competitive with each other right. in, in wanting to be first to pass some of these policies or maybe go further. And the first, with some first of ones get the Fox News hits, and you know, if you're down the line, you don't. And it's not even just like, in, like you're alluding to, in past years we've seen maybe a state does this and then the next year a couple mm -hmm. of other states do it. Sure. This year it's like a state does this and the next week another state is doing it, or the next day. And sure. I know when the House passed the bill, uh, but before the governor signed it, on that day, if the governor would have signed it that day, Iowa would have been the ninth state in the country to uh, ban this type of care. I, I could be wrong, but I think by the time the governor signed it, there were already other states that were either signing it that same day. So, it, I mean, to your point, it's incredibly so quickly. Fast. So fast. School choice is another example of that. Right. A number of states that have done that this year, including Iowa. Uh, this past week, Aaron, you covered a debate in the Iowa Senate about a package of education-related proposals that the governor forwarded to the legislature. Yeah, I wrote this down, Kate, because at the top you, uh, I think, gave a new entry for understatement of the year when you said a lot happened at the state house <laughs> this week. I mean, so much happened just in this bill alone. Uh, it's a, a massive bill, and to bullet point and highlight this as quickly as possible because we only have 20 minutes... Um, it, it deals with a lot of the K-12 education policies that have been tackled on the House side more individually. In the Senate, they decided to scoop them all up and in, in, in the, in the governor's proposal. Um, so it deals with how to remove books from schools if, if parents or someone feels that they have obscene graphic material. Um, it prohibits teaching about gender identification or sexual orientation through sixth grade. Um, and it also requires... Uh, educators to get the parents' permission before using a student's pronoun if it, if that's different than what uh, their uh, their physical um, uh, gender pronoun would be. Uh, many many other policies in there, but those are kind of the big highlights. And and as I said, um, moving forward now because of that interesting procedural approach. Uh, the, the Senate and House Republicans are going to have to get together and decide how much of that agree they agree on and what to ultimately pushed to the governor because of those two different approaches they took. I, I just, sorry to repeat myself, but this seems like another one of those that it's going to be the details that are going to be the challenge in so many ways. So you have a Absolutely. kid in class who has two female parents, two male parents. How is this stuff going to be discussed? There are so many just day-to-day -day things that educators deal with, not to mention sexual identity, gender identity, all those kind of things, that the, where does this go from here and how do those things get addressed in what way? Yeah, if, where it, a for, if a district is scared you're going to get the $5,000 yeah, fine or whatever it is if you don't follow the rules. Well, I was just going to say there's so much of interplay too between all of these different bills that we're seeing. I know one lawmaker when we were talking about this bill this past week at the State House mentioned um, talking about that bathroom policy that you know if there is a child that has presented one gender all of elementary school and now they have to use a different bathroom and other kids are confused why why that child is and that child's transgender, that teacher can't explain to the classroom because of the bill that you were talking about. And another piece in that bill 
um, that separates the Senate from the House one is that there's a parental bill of rights at the bottom of that bill talking about that parents have the right over their child's education, their child's medical care, um, which again, interplays into you know the gender transition procedures bill. There's an amendment that says they have parents have rights over everything of their kids' medical care besides you know gender transition procedures. There's also just been a difference in conversation about what might be allowed under this when we talk about prohibiting instruction about sure. sexual orientation or gender identity. We had conversations when the House was doing this bill where the Republicans said, listen, the language of this law just says you can't you know provide instruction or whatever. And they, they said, well, teachers can still answer questions, teachers can still talk about their spouses, things like that. But Democrats are worried there will be, if not explicitly in the law, at least a, a chilling effect for teachers who are worried that they might run afoul of this. Yeah, that gets into that whole difference between legislative intent and actual legal application of a bill or a law. And, and we've heard that in other states where similar bills have been passed. And, and the shorthand that it's become known as and, 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 and acknowledging that this has become a politically charged term, but just because people may be familiar with it, it's a version of the don't say gay bills that they've, as they've become known in other states. And the reason they're called that is because, to Seaman's point, while, while that may not have been the intent that legislators state when they pass these bills, legally and procedurally and operationally, educators express that legitimate concern that if, 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 if I talk about some of these things, is that construed as, uh, and then is the language in the bill, I guess, precise enough to, to, to protect them from that? Uh, Stephen, I do want to talk, just insert this in this discussion. Your newspaper has done a good bit of polling about a lot of these topics that are being debated this month in the Iowa legislature one of which deals with the book policy in school libraries, and it found a real diverging opinion among Republicans who support the elements of both of these approaches in the House and Senate, which would restrict access to books that have sexual content, whereas Democrats are very much opposed to that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and some of the other polling that you did shows that Iowans are in favor of some of these others, Yeah, some, some of the bills that we've been talking about, prohibiting instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity, I think we found 54% of Iowans favor that in kindergarten through sixth grade, so elementary schools. Um, and the prohibition on uh, gender transition care, gender affirming care, uh, about 52% approve of that. Bringing that up because your, your newspaper also did a poll about pipelines. A very interesting result on that, given the context of the House passing a pipeline bill this week. Right. So as we've talked about on this show before, there's three companies that are seeking to build essentially carbon capture pipelines across the state of Iowa and other states to sequester carbon dioxide in the ground. They say it'll benefit the ethanol industry and make it greener. 78% of Iowans, according to our poll, oppose the use of eminent domain for those projects. So the idea that these companies could force you to sell access to your land to them. And I, and I just wanted to, just to drive home what a big number that is for people who may not follow polling really closely. 78% is so huge. Uh, so I looked it up. There was a recent poll and chocolate had a favorability rating of 81%. So this Ooh. is almost, <laughs> this idea is almost as popular as chocolate. I mean, that's just a remarkable number. And I broke it down poll. by party lines too, because it's 72% of Republicans, it's 82% of Democrats, it's 79% of independents oppose eminent domain for these projects. So House Republicans, as Kay said, passed a bill this week that would say, it wouldn't ban it outright, 
but it would say you need to, if you're a company building one of these pipelines, you need to voluntarily reach agreements to buy 90% of the land before you can even ask to use eminent domain. And the House Speaker told us they're responding to Iowans who overwhelmingly agree with them on this issue. Does this put pressure on the Senate to do something, Aaron? I think, I don't know, honestly. I, I, see, I see both yes and no's and answers to that. They've been pretty f- quiet on this, which makes me think that they're not feeling that pressure. But again, 78% is a huge number. Dave? When you look at these numbers, and I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but there may be more Cyclone fans who root for the <laughs> Hawkeyes to win on game day than people who support eminent domain for, for <laughs> pipeline projects. But how does this not put pressure on Senate Republicans, at least in some degree, that they may have to do something, not something that's so big that it may kill Bruce Rastetter's project proposal here. Who is Bruce Rastetter Bruce for Rastetter, people who don't know? Very wealthy uh, businessman who is putting one of the one of the three proposals together. Has uh, been a Republican donor for years. Uh, used to be on the Board of Regents too, I believe. Um, but how can they not look at these numbers and think, uh-oh, this is actually something that our own base has a big, big problem with. So don't we at least put some additional hurdles, if you will, so that there are more voluntary agreements to get this deal done. I mean, but you also had House Republicans saying on the floor of the House during debate, the Senate's not going to touch this bill. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to do right. what we want it to do. But yet do. they were still willing to do this, which was fascinating to me. Clearly, I mean, I would assume, Speaker Grassley has had conversations with the Senate in private about, all right, where's this thing going to go? He was still willing to do that. So is it just for show? Well, we also asked the governor this week, was it this week, (laughs) whether she had talked to the House leadership about this bill, and she said no, and that was her one-word answer. The governor had a news conference this week, Amanda, you were there, and I asked about her proposal that started in 2018 about birth control. Where does that sit in the legislature? Right, it's something she's been pushing, and the governor at least this year, has gotten a lot of what she's wanted, and this is one of those remaining pieces. Um, She brought it up at the beginning of this session. She wants over-the-counter birth control available through a pharmacist without a prescription from a doctor. That would be things like the pill, patch, and ring. Um, We saw back in 2019 when she proposed this, the Senate passed something, but it never made it out of the House. We're kind of seeing a deja vu moment maybe here with the Senate. Amended an EpiPen bill, included that in it. there is a piece of over-the-counter birth control in a big health care package on the House side. We asked the governor, you asked the governor, um, you know, where that was going to go. And I think her words were, you know, I'm, lo- I'm talking with House legislators looking for a compromise that everyone's comfortable with. But she didn't elaborate on what that compromise would be. Right. She said, I want to get this across the finish. She yeah, did but, say that. And she doesn't say that a lot about we're going to compromise and figure it out, right. right? Like you can tell this one's important to her. And to that point, I felt, we usually get the I'm not going to interrupt yeah. the legislative yeah, yeah, process, yeah. wait to see a bill in its final form. She clearly wants this one and acknowledges that whatever the present form is isn't what the end result is likely mm-hmm. going to be. I will say, too, really quickly, it's... The governor has been very careful not to call it over-the-counter birth control. She calls it behind-the-counter. And the reason for that is, while you wouldn't need an individual prescription, the way it would work is pharmacists in the state would have a standing order that essentially serves as a prescription, which might affect things like whether it's covered by insurance. And as I understand it, the House proposal says um, you can return to the pharmacist and get birth control prescriptions filled, but 
you know, maybe in every two years you have to go back to a prescribing doctor to see them. Aaron, real quickly, a bill um, that sailed through the Senate uh, about distracted driving. Is this the year that Iowa joins half of the country in saying you can't handle this thing while you're driving? Yeah, so super quick by way of background. Right now in Iowa, it's illegal to text while drive, but law enforcement will tell you it's impossible to enforce that because you can just say, well, I wasn't texting, I was making a call, which is legal. So they want all handheld use of a phone while driving banned. You can only use your phone with... Uh, speaking technology, hey Siri. Um, and, and as you noted, it passed the Senate this week, which is a legislative first, as, I, as I'm told by Senate staff, that it had never passed a full chamber for. So that's a big step and a sign that maybe it's moving. Now it's up to the House um, and whether they have an appetite for it. it it's stalled many years running now. Um, it, it's in danger of becoming the new bottle bill, but maybe this is the year. Stephen, the Senate this week um, debated uh, new requirements for people who receive supplemental uh, nutrition assistance and are enrolled in the state's Medicaid program. That's right. And really quickly, before we move off of the driving <laughs> thing, another issue that we've pulled on at the register in the past that has like 70% support or something like that, and that hasn't led to which them is, passing it yet. Which is a pretty big number for people uh, inviting yeah. uh, a rule, that, a restriction on their driving. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, the this, this Senate bill that would restrict, uh, so it would add new eligibility checks and an asset test if, if you're, uh, to see if you're able to as receive food assistance benefits. So households with liquid assets of more than $15,000 could not get SNAP benefits. Now, the asset test would exclude things like the value of your home, the value of a first car, or the value of up to $10,000 of a second car. But the nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency took a look at the bill and said if these new requirements go into place, which also includes checking paperwork periodically and things like that, that there could be about 1% of Iowans receiving these benefits could lose them. So that would be about 8,000 people receiving Medicaid, about 2,800 people receiving SNAP, and a few, several hundred people in some other programs. And these are people a, who are eligible, they just fall through the cracks because... The analysis the, said due to discrepancies, they yeah. could be kicked off. Yeah. And there was a significant yeah. cost to do this, right, for it's, the state? Yeah, over the first three years, Iowa would pay about $17 million in, in state money. There'd be more cost in federal money. So, like, the IT startup cost alone would be, like, $20 million. Hmm. But the argument is, and the analysis shows, that after a few years, they'd be saving about almost $8 million a year, and that savings would come from removing people from the program so they're no longer receiving benefits. Dave, we've got about yes, three sir. minutes left. We have a presidential campaign happening while we're covering all this <laughs> stuff at the State House. Yes, and it's uh, picking up a little bit here um, because it felt pretty slow for a while, didn't, for, for, for what we're used to. Obviously, we know the Democratic side, but we, I mean, you had to kind of think that, you know, unless Marianne Williamson is going to come in here and uh, put a uh, full-throated effort here to dethrone Joe Biden in 24. But uh, Republicans seem a little bit more uh, in public plus privately uh, kind of doing the work now. Nikki Haley's coming back. Mike Pence is coming back. Uh, Mike Pompeo, Mike Rogers, you know, having those conversations. Obviously, Donald Trump is already in this. But it feels like things are getting a little more serious about this. And it feels like they're starting to do a little more staff outreach to figure out who the heck they're going to hire. They're only, 
know, you have so many talented people to go along and you, you want some talented Iowa people to run these things. Amanda, you and I covered Mike Pence here mm -hmm. in Des Moines last weekend and, the, and you asked him a question during his uh, discussion with reporters. He just can't catch a break because Trump trailed him that day. Right, right. He, I, I'm, I mean, he hasn't made any sort of announcement, right, but he's here in Iowa. He gave a very uh, campaign-style speech touting his accomplishments during the Trump administration, I think was hoping for, you know, may have been hoping for, you know, to talk about that. And then, you know, of course, the news broke that Trump was uh, expecting to be arrested on Tuesday. Obviously, that prediction didn't come to fruition. But yeah, Trump himself. Uh, yes, right, Trump himself. Out. Not Trump did not expect Pence. Right. Trump himself thought that Trump would be arrested. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that that might be something that a lot of candidates, including Pence, are going to have to deal with on the campaign trail. Is you know talking about how do they separate their own accomplishments out from, you know, being attached to the Trump administration. And, uh, you know, as Trump's former vice president, uh, there was a lot of questions about that. But he did also tell us that he was planning to announce this springtime, but he didn't say what that means because now it's spring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of people at this table who are attached to Major League Baseball games oh, at various points in the year. Aaron, there's a bill pending that would address your ability to see those games. Say MLB blackout and baseball fans go into the fetal position and there is legislation <laughs> that would ban those. Now, it's one of those bills that's more of a planting of the flag. The state really doesn't have the authority to affect this, but the, the hope is to generate the discussion and put more pressure on Major League Baseball to show more of these Cubs games, Cardinals games, Brewers games. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis. A million years ago, they had these blackout rules with the St. Louis Cardinals when they were a football team. And it's just to make sure that if you live in their region, you don't stay home and watch it for free on TV. You go spend money and watch it in person, right? Super archaic rules. When you transition to us in this state where we don't have a professional team at the highest level, it's obviously nonsensical and archaic in that it's six teams that you have these weird blackout rules. So when you buy the full package from MLB, you can't watch a lot of these games, which is hard to understand. So there's a major bankruptcy underway for some of these regional carriers. So f it does appear that something may finally happen. And while J.D. Shulton may be well-intentioned, it's debatable whether the state legislature would have any real role to change this. My intention right here is to cut this off. Sorry. Sorry. We are out of time for this edition of Iowa Press. You can watch every episode online at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at I Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite's 1,600 employees are our company's greatest asset. A family-run business, Elite supports volunteerism, encourages promotions from within, and shares profits with our employees. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com.